Hello there, folks, and thank you for listening to the show. I'm Joanna. I'm Nate, and we are Stranger Than, a podcast discussing unsolved mysteries, weird occurrences, misunderstood phenomena, and creepy happenings. As always, the Stranger Than podcast logo art is brought to you by Cthulhu Art. The link will be in the show notes. We have a Facebook group called The Strange Space. Join it. Join it. It's fun. <laughs> what do we got today, Joanna? Today we're going to be um, discussing cursed objects and books and also a fan had suggested that we study... The Voynich Manuscript was suggested by Harrison. Thank you for the suggestion, Harrison. And it's not really a cursed book, but it is a writing steeped in mystery. Mm-hmm. No one knows who wrote it or even what it says. The writing has, even today, it's not, it's not been deciphered yet. Carbon dating places the creation point of this tome at the early 1400s. It's named after the guy who bought it in 1912. It's a book dealer named Wilfred Voynich. I'm sorry, Wilfred Voynich. Yeah, big difference between Wilfred and Wilfred. Definitely. <laughs> People have been trying to figure out what's written in the book ever since it was found. So they haven't been able to figure out like what language it is or anything they have like that? No, nope, nope. They have, some people have been like, oh, no, no, it says this. There, It's in this language. And there's been too many holes in any of that stuff they've said to prove that that's what it's actually written in. So some people say it's a kind of Latin and it just hasn't, hasn't panned out. You know, the code crackers during World War I and II couldn't figure it out. Fucking computers can't even figure it out. That's very weird. It's got a bunch of drawings in it. As, well, there's writing, but there's also drawings of herbs, animals, people, and things that resemble maps. Some of the pages with the diagrams fold out into several pages. The remaining pages, the ones that we have available, are there's 240 of them. And there may be up to 270. We're not really sure. There are a few who are speculated to have authored the book, including Boynick himself. So some people say that maybe it's he's, he faked it somehow, even though it has been carbon dated to be old as fuck. Right. And I think it's very hard to like, like fake an entire language. Yeah. And, and 200 and something pages, you know, that's a lot. Yeah, and I feel like anything that, um, you know, any language that you're trying to, to if you're trying to fake something, I think that your native language would keep popping up somewhere. Like, you're going to emulate it in some way. Yeah, how you conjugate things and, and mm-hmm. what have you, yeah. So the fact that... Sentence com- structures. Right, and- like that computers even can't pick up anything means something yeah it does mean something of course as with everything with the book all information has been inconclusive no one really knows who authored it Uh, the first person to have owned it that we know of is rudolph ii the holy roman emperor who reigned from 1576 until his power was stripped to him and then he died in 1612 it is now in yale library so we can go see it if we wanted we went to, you know... We made a little trip out to Yale University. Yeah, which is unlikely since it's, you know, on the East Coast, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's, isn't it in Connecticut? Something like that, yeah. yeah. 
it's a pretty interesting book. It is a very or maybe it's not. <laughs> no one really knows. Interesting story though. Yeah, I think it's pretty fascinating that nobody can decipher it. Oh, I, mean, I know that we decipher Egyptian hieroglyphs that are like way older than this damn manuscript, and we can figure out what it is those are saying. Well, I think the difference is that there was the Rosetta Stone involved with those. So there was something written in like Greek right. and then all these other languages that, and we knew some of the languages so we could kind of cross-reference. With this, there is no There's Rosetta Stone. There's no <laughs> cipher or anything like that. Well, it kind of makes me a little bit angry with the author of the manuscript. It's like, dude. What the fuck, man? Where is the answer key? Right? Maybe <laughs> the answer key was lost. Maybe that's one of the pages that are missing. Like at the very end, there's the answer key, and that page is just like it's you're like lost to time. Where's the fucking teacher's edition? <laughs> it's just a joke. Someone mm. wrote some like old obscure language, like Neapolitan or something. I don't know. Maybe people still speak Neapolitan. I'm not sure. I didn't even know that Neapolitan was a language. But... Yeah, it's a Southern Italian. Language. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I um, I think that's. It's very interesting, the fact that it's just kind of like, what the fucking fuck? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> what you can say about that. So that's, It's got some illustrations, but yeah, apparently they don't. and animals and stuff. <laughs> and so, I mean. So it's like, damn it. Like, what were they? What, what was this person trying to talk about? But apparently there's no, like, descriptions underneath the plant or animal or, or on the maps of the, any of the areas. So they can't use like there's not like a picture of a cat where underneath it says cat and so they mm -hmm. can't use that as there's a, no reference point yeah, with just, the illustrations either they're basically just just illustrations just drawings in yep. the middle of a lot of shit that nobody can figure out craziness i would be loving to find out what it says one of these days and where that came from that will probably never happen but that would be <laughs> awesome I mean, well, yeah, I guess if we just a recipe it book. <laughs> I was almost thinking that. <laughs> yeah, just like, oh, it's how to make cake with herbs and animals. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the old school kind of pies, right? Yeah, mince meat pie. Yeah, I don't think that actually has meat in it though. Only mince. <laughs> so I did have a couple of other um, books that I mean are weird. Maybe not necessarily cursed, but while we were on the subject of crazy manuscripts and such, um, one of the ones that came up in my research was actually The Catcher in the Rye. Oh, yeah. Which I wouldn't have thought of as being necessarily like a cursed book. And I don't think it really is a cursed book in the like literal cursed sense of the word. Um, but it is interesting that two famous killers uh, were allegedly obsessed with the book. So, yeah, wasn't one of them uh, the guy who killed John Lennon? Yes, yes, that was Mark David Chapman. And he was actually found reading it after the murder. He's just, like, chilling nearby with reading Catcher in the Rye. And was the other one the, one, the guy that stalked Jodie Foster? Yeah, he was the one who tried to kill... President Reagan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did, did he? Did he? So, oh no, he 
went to kill President Reagan for Jodie Foster, right? Yeah, because he wanted to, like, you know, he thought impress that it would something. impress her yeah. and, like, win her affections. So Wasn't she, like, ob- 17 at the time? Yeah, she was, like, really fucking young. Yeah. It's fucking weird. Guy's obviously batshit crazy. Yeah. Yeah, his name is John Hinckley. That's right. Yes, and he also had the book in his possession. Like, he had it on him at the time of his capture, so... Weird big JD Salinger fans, both of these guys, and then there's also a poem, I guess, a Japanese poem. Uh, first publishing a reference I found to it was from 1919, it's called Tomino's Hell, and it's basically just like about a little boy, um, who I guess is cursed and goes on a lovely little trip down to the depth of hell. Oh, he vomits blood, ah, yeah, just. Gen- you know, suffers all these, you know, physical torments and everything as he descends into hell, you know. Pretty light reading there. Totally, totally. <laughs> it's a nice palate cleanser. But the thing about it is that if you read it out loud, great tragedy will befall you. I wasn't able to find any instances of people actually doing this and um, dying. Or having something awful happen to them, but that's that's the legend. That's what they say. That's what they say. The word on the street. And I didn't even read the full poem, even in my head, just just in case. Just yeah, just and I, the safe I, side. I I certainly wouldn't want to tempt fate by reading it out loud. So you can Google it if you'd like. And then now we're we'll have some other like cursed objects. We've got the, probably the one of the most famous ones, the Dybbuk box. Have you have you heard of that one? I have heard of that, yes. A Dybbuk is a restless spirit. They're usually malicious and enjoy haunting the living, sometimes even possessing a person. The term Dybbuk box is a recent creation. It was called this by Kevin Manis, who was selling such a box on eBay. This particular box was a wine cabinet that he had purchased from a 2001 estate sale. Apparently, the wine cabinet had come from Spain during World War II as the original owner, Abela, was fleeing the Nazis. Manis heard all this from her granddaughter, who told him when he offered to give the cabinet back that they didn't want it because there was a Dybbuk in it. So, Manis cracked this bad boy open, which is not what I would have done. Right, it's like, that just seems like, no. Oh, there's an evil spirit in here? Let me fucking open this shit up. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a great idea. Let's, let's release let's it. Just crack it open. What harm could come from this? He did find a couple 1920s pennies, a lock of blonde hair, a lock of dark hair. Both of the hairs are wrapped with like a cord. Not together, but apart. So just two separate like strands of hair? Two separate locks, yeah. Okay. A golden wine glass, small one. A dried rosebud and a small statue with the word Shalom engraved on it. And then Doesn't a candle. does that mean like hello or? A peace, harmony, peace, wholeness. Peace, harmony, something like that. General. It's a Hebrew term, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Generally a positive term. Mm-hmm. There was also a candle holder with four octopus legs. Just a single candle holder. With four, like actual octopus oh, no, tentacle no, legs? Or just, just the shape of them? They were the shape of tentacles. Okay. So I, I imagine it as like, a candle holder where you just put one candle in and then the way that it sits is on these four octopus-shaped legs. Hmm, okay. Everyone who's gotten their hands on this box has suffered. 
probably why the granddaughter did not want it around. Yeah, I wouldn't want a fucking cursed box around either. No. Manus gave the box to his mom, who had a stroke the same day. Oh, wow. Whenever the box was in his possession, he had terrible night terrors. People that stayed at his house also reported having terrible dreams. A guy who purchased the box reported that his hair started falling out, and he had a bunch of fucked up dreams. All of this, this guy bought it from Manus, all of this stuff was reported on this guy's blog that was being followed by a gentleman called Haxton. Haxton bought the box from the other guy and wrote a book about it called The Dybbuk Box. People are so dumb. (laughs) I was just going to ask you, like, would you buy a cursed box? No way. Like, I don't really believe in curses that much. I still ain't going to buy a fucking cursed box. Right. It doesn't matter if I believe in it so much if it actually is real, you know? Right. Well, and, you know, curses are weird that way. Like, a lot of it can be in your head. It could be, yeah. And it's just fucked up things happen to most everyone in their life at some point. But I think it's maybe it's not very good to your mental health when you're attributing it to a curse. Right. Whether it's real or not, because then everything is going to be become about the curse and not just about like changing your shit. Right. Or yeah. that this is life and this is what happens and I don't have control over it. When you kind of focus all of it onto onto like one specific thing, like it's because this of this curse, then that can just take you down some dark roads, I think, mentally. Like, that's just not good. Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Haxton became or at least claimed that he became afflicted with several medical issues after taking possession of the box. Hives, coughing up blood, and welts all over. He did get in touch with a rabbi, and they got the box resealed. So, got the divic back in the box, close that shit up, everyone's good. So a rabbi can do that, huh? Apparently, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know who else would be able to do it, since a divic is a, is a Jewish thing. Right, I just wasn't, I'd never heard of anything like that yeah. before. So it's kind of like, when you call in a, a priest to do an exorcism. Oh, yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty common in pop culture. Yeah, but you don't really hear a whole, whole lot about, like, oh, I guess a rabbi can, you know, take care of a dybbuk problem. Yeah. One. Yeah, keep that in mind, folks. They eventually donated this box to Zach Beggins of Ghost Adventures for his, his museum. Do you know who Post Malone is? Yes. I also know who Post Malone is. I believe most people probably know who Post Malone is. I didn't know the history. I mean, my my son keeps me in the know about it. Like, I'd heard some of his songs, but I didn't realize that he kind of got his fame from, I don't know, it's like some, like, internet. Oh, I have no idea. Oh, well, he, SoundCloud. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, so... And prior to him becoming famous, he was, like, living in his friend's closet in Los Angeles, apparently. Oh, very Harry Potter. Yeah, and just uh, writing music and got on SoundCloud and eventually through that platform got some hits out and is, you know, now now doing well for himself. I don't imagine he's still... He's moved out of the closet. He's moved out of the closet. Yes. Well, he was on an episode of Ghost Adventures. Okay. Beggins removes the glass from the box, the Dybbuk box, and touches it. 
Post Malone touches Baggins' shoulder while he's touching the box and believes he got cursed. Because following this incident, he was involved in a car accident. He wasn't hurt. Mm -hmm. His plane on the way to the MTV's Video Music Awards had to make an emergency landing for some reason. I didn't even know MTV still did anything with music since it no longer even stands for anything but MTV. It doesn't, the M doesn't stand for music anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't, but still, I didn't, I didn't, I don't even think they show videos. Well, they, well yeah, but they still have, like, the music awards. It's just weird. I don't think I've put on MTV any time in the last decade and had an actual music video come up. Oh, probably not. It's all game shows and reality television. Oh, my God. Teen mom. I'm just like, dude. Yeah, it's awful. Like, can you just not, like, can you just stop with that? Because, like, nothing good comes out of that. No, it's all bad. Nothing at all. It's all bad. I saw a great meme a few years back, and I think this would be awesome. You know, instead of, like, uh, teen mom or 16 and pregnant, it's like, how about 16 and looking at colleges? 16 valedictorians or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like, what the fuck is wrong with a reality show about that? Yeah. 16 and volunteering your time to help others. Totally. Something positive, not... Like, right, like let's not glorify um, kids getting pregnant and fucking their lives up and fucking their fucking kids' lives up, and and then just exacerbating that by making them reality stars. Yeah, right. It's just you know, it's just not a good thing. No, not at all. He was also post Malone, the target of a home invasion. Possibly, fortunately, the perpetrators went to the wrong house. Kind of like Wu and the Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about any rug peeing. Uh, but you can find the video on YouTube with Post Malone and Zach Beggins and the Divic Box. That does seem like an awful lot of bad luck to have yeah. happened yeah. post-touching the box. Yeah, but again, sometimes you just have a run of bad luck. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it isn't necessarily... And if you look at what happens, so... Gets into a car accident where he's not hurt. Mm-hmm. Plane just has to make an emergency landing. No right. one's hurt. His home didn't get invaded. The perpetrators, they later sedated they were trying to invade Post Malone's house, but they... His house wasn't actually but broken But it into. wasn't his house they went to. It was somebody else's house. So... It's a lot of, like, almost bad things. Exactly. Happening. Exactly. I mean, so, not that it, it doesn't suck to get in a car accident oh, and no. to deal with all that. None but, of that stuff is but cool, you, but... Yeah. Still, it's not, it, it could be worse. Right. It's not like you have welts or... Vomiting know, blood. Yeah, yeah, or something <laughs> fucked up like that. Yeah. I mean, it's fortunate that it was all, it didn't, it didn't affect him too much. Maybe it was because it was like a secondary thing. Maybe that, it was just kind of shitty bad luck because it was like, he had a Baggins there as like a proxy between the two. Well, what about Baggins though? Like, I don't know. Like, maybe he's just like fucking immune. Maybe he's like one of the Winchester brothers. He's got some weird tattoo that just keeps that shit off him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably something he hasn't like made public. Right, right. Or maybe it's just he's got terrible, terrible luck and he just doesn't talk about it. <laughs> Could be. Who knows? Could be. He bathes in holy water. <laughs> <laughs> the priest constantly on uh, on call at his house at the water heater just getting down with the Whatever you have to do to make the the water holy, he has like the that. Well, I guess only the the wife's alive now. The that couple. The, oh yeah, Lorraine. The Warrens. Yeah, yeah. Lorraine's on speed dial. Probably. <laughs> Probably. 
I have an interesting mummy curse. Oh yeah, yeah. Not, of course, Tutankhamun. Not, not the same as as uh, good old King Tut. Because we have a whole episode curse. on that. We do have a whole episode on that, and I love that episode. So you um, folks, if you have not heard it, should go back and listen to our episode of the Curse of King Tutankhamun. Mm-hmm. Which I believe to be real, but. You can hear about the whole thing on that episode. (laughs) But what mummy's curse do you have today? Well, this is a more recent curse, I would say. I mean, the the mummy is still old as fuck. Right, as mummies generally are. Exactly. But this isn't this doesn't involve like, you know, British colonial times in Egypt or anything like that. This mummy was actually discovered in the Otsal Alps in Italy. And so this mountain range kind of border, it's, it's in Italy, but it borders Austria. Okay. Too. So in 1991, um, a couple was out hiking and they happened to stumble across this guy. He was later named um, Otzi, the Iceman. Oh, okay. Because, you know, he was found in the, the Otzel Alps. He was like encased in ice up to his torso. Oh, did so, he get hit by like a, an avalanche or a glacier hit him or something like that? No, um, I think he was just starting to like thaw out. Like, I mean, he because he's been buried. Oh for, no, I meant originally. Like that's originally, how he, yeah. yeah. No, it that wasn't. There's a lot of speculation on his cause of death, but uh, it doesn't seem like it was accidental. But he was thawing out, and people were just like, "Hey, there's yeah, so a fucking torso." Yeah, so basically, he was thawing out, but he was so well preserved that this couple actually thought it was like a missing climber like a recently missing climber and they went and got search and rescue it wasn't like they came upon it like oh my god look at this corpse they're like oh my god that guy must have just died yeah yeah they thought it was somebody who had just recently died wow but in fact this mummy is around five thousand years old so wow yeah (laughs) So I believe that makes it older than Tutankhamun. I think so. I mean, this puts it at about uh, three thousand BCE. Yeah, that's 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 pretty damn old. That is very damn old. Yes, he has been, in fact, determined to be the oldest preserved person ever found. Yeah, anywhere. We have hand- found, obviously. Bits and pieces here Bits and, and pieces of, of humans, and probably entire skeletons, but as far as, like, somebody with their flesh intact. Right, and their guts and everything, yeah. Yeah, so much so that they could tell what he had eaten. Wow. They could, like, identify his stomach contents. It's crazy. This is how nuts this is. So I think he had herb bread and venison, which is deer meat, Yeah, in his stomach contents. And they were able to determine that he might have eaten about two hours prior to his death. Crazy. Yeah. So I mean, were... this is like straight up like as if somebody just died and they did an autopsy. Right, right. They right. were able to find out all these things. And it's so he must pretty have fucking eaten, amazing. Then died and then was in a really cold environment and so just preserved immediately and just glaciers mm-hmm. got over him before animals could get to him. Or, yeah. Or avalanches or just, just snowfall. Some kind of but... random. Yeah. I guess maybe just a lot of random acts of nature occurred at the, just the right time to preserve his body. Yeah, just like anything Perfectly. else. Everything else that gets preserved, you know, the things in the tar pits and 
and, and, and what have you. Right, exactly. The mammoths they find that are from the hollow earth, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he was wearing animal skins. He had deer and bear skin boots. And they were waterproof. Nice. Yes. He also had in his possession a flint knife, a copper axe. He also had some snacks. Oh, nice. He had some, like, mushrooms on a string and um, berries. There was also fungus. I don't know if he planned to eat the fungus or that just maybe grew. Who knows? But he definitely had a little snack pack of mushrooms and berries. I'm sure there's some kind of fungus you can eat. they were wrapped up in a leaf. Nice. Yeah. So he was... He also had a bow and arrows. And as far as his physical appearance, now you're going to be proud of me here because he was around five feet, five inches tall or 1.65 meters. Wow, Joanna. And his weight, approximately 110 pounds or 50 kilograms. I'll be damned. Mm-hmm. Look at me. His body also was covered in over 60 tattoos. Oh, damn. Yeah, he was estimated uh, age-wise to be in his 40s. And I'm guessing probably like 5,000 years ago, people were just smaller. Oh, probably. So probably at 5'5 and 100. I mean, that might seem like a slight person today, but probably was pretty normal, I would say. Normal or, yeah, maybe maybe a little bit on the tall side. It's hard to say. I mean, mm-hmm. the smaller you are, the less resources you need to take, you need to get. Right. And so, and also the less protein you eat, the the smaller you're going to be. So if you're, you know, subsisting on a diet that's a lot of fungus and, you know. Mushrooms mu- and berries. Yeah, berries and <laughs> shit. And you're able to catch some, you know, critters here and there. You're not going to grow as big. Right. I mean, obviously, he'd had a good meal of uh, venison and herb bread. Yeah, and probably for the best that, but, anyway, because, you know, but, if you're yeah. huge, you need to eat a lot. That's, mm-hmm. no, I mean, look how much the, the Rocky, or, you know, Dwayne Johnson eats. He has, like, seven meals a day, and Does it's he? insane. Oh, my gosh. I read a thing about once about, like, what his diet is, and it's bland and a lot. You know, like, 12 ounces cod or 12 ounces, like, boiled or baked chicken, you know, just bland you know multiple no, times a day yeah, yeah yeah no stuff on it like you know one cup of broccoli you know no salt you know just very very bland. yeah it's just i don't know i mean i guess maybe if you're selling yourself as a brand and you're really into health clearly i'm not as much into health I'm, I'm more into like enjoying my life right what a which i mean i guess some people really enjoy being healthy i don't yeah. i just i can't i can't really force myself to diet well like i don't overeat right but i i like tasty food yeah yeah i really do (laughs) i just i can't stomach the thought of like eating like a cup of broccoli like steamed broccoli and that's supposed to like make me happy on the inside (laughs) like no (laughs) it's just fuel joanna it's just fuel yeah i can't think of it as just fuel just because you know food's one of the few things i have left (laughs) you know like enjoy i don't know what else so getting about this to Iceman. <laughs> so getting to how Iceman died. So there were quite a bit of theories like why was this guy out there? We still really don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Um it was speculated that yeah, maybe he died of illness or had some sort of accident and fell, but they did find blood on his 
clothing on his like deer skins and turns out that the blood came from four other people. Oh, really? So he's basically covered in other people's blood. So I wonder if he, I mean, it could have been a, he was a murderer or there could have been some sort of like clan war or yeah, something. Yeah, I would say it was more, yeah, some something to that effect because his head showed signs of blunt force trauma. Oh, okay. So he had cuts on his hand and he had an arrowhead lodged in his shoulder. And then there were a few other wounds that seemed consistent with having been shot by an arrow and having the arrows pulled out. Because, you know, you gotta, you gotta, arrows are hard to make. Oh, yeah. So if you can pull them back out, you pull them back out. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Especially so because guess... not only are they not super, you have to make them, but also like in the heat, if, if you're, in a conflict, you need your ammo. Mm-hmm. So I'm imagining this one in his shoulder was maybe one that they didn't pull back out. He ran off. Out. He ran off. Maybe it got hooked on his collarbone. Oh, yeah. Because probably if they're... Unless he pulled them out himself, then probably he would have been dead and they pulled him out of yeah. his body, whoever killed him. Yeah. Most likely he was murdered or died in some kind of combat. Yeah, yeah. Which still was... didn't explain why it was just him found. Maybe he was jumped. It could be he was jumped, and or, so they left him there to die, and then ran off themselves. And he walked you know, up weren't, onto weren't like preserved a, when they died. He like walked up to a camp or something and stole some ven like sat down next to it like he was one of them and ate the venison and <laughs> you know had some some herb bread had some herb bread and they're like hey hey who's that guy <laughs> like in super bad when they're doing the cocaine and they're like and Evans right. in the room and instead of asking him to sing they instead attack him and he runs right. off and so they shoot arrows at him and yeah could be it could be also that he died and they put his body up there for some reason yeah like an air burial or something or maybe they just were trying to leave him for the animals or whatever who knows maybe they just wanted to get him really far the fuck away from wherever he lived because there was something about him that was super fucked up maybe because seven people have died who have been associated with uncovering this guy. No shit. Yes. And I mean, he was found in 1991. It's 2017. I think the last person to die was maybe 2011-ish. Wow. So not overly long ago. Not overly long ago and not a huge number of people. But again, it's one of those things where it's a little bit weird. Yeah. The first guy to die was uh, Renye Hen. He died at age 54. And he was a forensic pathologist, and he was actually the first to handle the mummy once they got him out of the ice and he put him in the body bag. He was, oh, all right. So, he, that, yes. so once they got him to once wherever, he, then he was the first guy who. Well, no, he actually like pulled him out of the ice. Oh, no, oh, the yeah, other way. The so first, he was the yeah. one to pack him up. Yeah, so he packed him up and got him in the body bag. And he died in a car crash, and he was actually on his way to lecture about good old Otzi. <laughs> yeah, so he was on his way to go lecture. I don't know if it was like college students or, or whatever. but Other scientists. Yeah, yeah. Some, something like that. But yeah, he was actually going to go speak about this guy and got in a terrible car crash and died. Wow. Number two was the mountain guy who led... Renier Hen to the body 
So, I mean, obviously you're out in the Alps and you need like, it's like we got it. We found this mummy, but we need to get him out of here. Usually you got to, you got to get someone. Got to get a guy. So this was a different guy. This wasn't the guy who originally found him. No, no, no. But uh, the guy who originally found him is actually on the list. Oh, not, <laughs> not shocking so much. No, this is the mountain guy that they hired to get the forensic pathologist and probably other members of the excavation team to the body. Like yeah, lead yeah. them, you know, through the mountains to the body. And his name was Kurt Fritz. He was 52 years old and he was killed by an avalanche. He was out climbing with some with a group of people and was killed by an avalanche and he was like the only one to die. Okay. Yeah. So right, avalanche right. comes and Kurt's the only one who gets taken the fuck out. Great. Mm-hmm. Number three is um Rainier Holsey. Uh, age 47, he died of a sudden brain tumor, so it was pretty quick. A sudden brain tumor? A sudden brain tumor is what huh. was listed. Interesting. Although brain tumors can be rather sudden. Oh, can they? Yes. Um, Comforting. I've known a couple of acquaintances who have died suddenly of brain, I mean, within like a few weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like I'm getting really bad headaches. Oh, you mm-hmm. have a tumor. Oh, oh you're you have dead. a yeah, you have a huge fucking tumor, and like four weeks later, they're dead. Wow. I mean, some some of them are very aggressive and will grow, grow very quickly. That's some shit right there. Yeah, I mean, there's there's other slower developing tumors where yeah, you have a brain tumor and you can have it operated on and this that and the other, but there are some really aggressive ones out there where by the time things become severe enough to where you're like, no, something's seriously wrong. It's too late. It's too late. It's, it's like, like yes, there is something seriously wrong, and it's going to kill you in like a month or two. It's like rabies. Once you show signs of rabies, mm-hmm. it's too late for them to do anything for you. Right. Well, for Except the most Except that, part. you know, rabies can be prevented, which, you know. Yes. As yes. far as I know, like, pretty hard to prevent brain tumors. Yes. I Not mean, have a brain. Right. <laughs> that would be one solution. <laughs> so number four is Helmut Simon. Age 67. Now, he is the one who discovered the guy with his girlfriend. Oh, okay. Oh, God. And he was also killed in a freak climbing accident. Like, uh, he was in the same area that he had found the mummy in. Yeah. And a freak blizzard just came up out of nowhere and blew him off the edge of a cliff. And he died. All right, then. Yes. And that leads us to number five, which is Dieter Warnick, age 45. Now, Dieter did not have any direct contact with the mummy, as far as I could see. Dieter was the head of the mountain rescue team that went after Helmet, the, the guy who found who found the mummy. So he's out climbing. He goes missing. This guy goes to find this him. This guy leads the team to go find him. He dies of a heart attack at age 45, and what's weird about it is that he died within one hour of Helmet Simon's funeral. Weird. Now, what about the girlfriend that was with the guy when you found it? So far, it seems like she's okay. Good. Number six was Conrad Spindler, age 55. Now, he died of complications of multiple sclerosis, so... 
that tends to be probably not something that has to do with the right. I mean, that tends to be a disease that you live with for many years before you. That's a genetic disorder. You don't fucking catch that shit. Right. He was an archaeologist, and so he was kind of like the first to like inspect the body. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And number seven would be Tom Loy. He was a molecular archaeologist. He died while working on a book about Otzi. And apparently he died from complications of a blood condition. Hmm. I didn't really get any specifics on what the blood condition was. Uh, one source said it was a hereditary blood disorder. So right. again, wouldn't have much to do with the curse. Wouldn't have much to do with the curse. But another source just listed that he started. He didn't actually start having problems with this condition until after the mummy was found. So, so one could that say a, that, like, yeah. you could like kind of look at it both ways, where. He wasn't experiencing any problems, and then the curse made him experience the problems, or it could have just been coincidence because he right. was eventually going to experience that anyway. Yeah. Nonetheless, it's pretty. It's yeah, pretty it's compelling. still still a body count of of what was it? Seven. Five, if you include, if you doubt, if you discount the ones that had the hereditary blood issue and the and the multiple, multiple sclerosis. Sclerosis. but still, like five is more people than I've killed. Yeah, and I'm alive, and, that, and the sudden. The sudden brain tumor is is interesting. Yeah, that that could go either way, but mm-hmm. and you then couldn't... the guy with the heart attack. But I mean, two of the guys directly involved was I mean a fucking avalanche and you fell. Yeah, but you can also attribute that to if you are have been climbing for many years and you are someone that avidly climbs and goes out and does a lot of that, like that stuff happens. It does, yeah. So. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sold that this mummy was cursed, but it's still a weird. It is. It is thing pretty weird that that many people died, and they all had contact with this one thing. Mm-hmm. I just think it it seems pretty big because this was a huge discovery, the oldest preserved human ever found, and then seven people that were associated with finding this guy subsequently die and and some of them weird yeah yeah weird ways i mean not weird ways but you would i mean i guess yeah kind of weird it is kind of i mean it just seems like kind of like a lot yeah yeah in in a short amount of time and all of them associated with this like crazy discovery of like the oldest preserved person and it was a small amount of people that were actually involved with this thing too i mean it wasn't like there was millions of people that saw this thing at first. Mm-hmm. It was just a few, a handful of people. And so such a, a yeah, large like amount a handful of people. Of specialized people. Exactly. And so it's really weird that seven of those people would die of, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the story of uh, Otzi the Iceman and the curse that he allegedly has. Have you heard of Bubsy's Stoop Chair? I have heard of that. I I it's one I kind of glossed over but apparently the the guy was like a dick and if you sit in the chair that you're going to die shortly thereafter yeah this chair is so cursed that it was eventually donated to the Thirsk Museum so people would stop dying 
Mm-hmm. The curse was placed by murderer Thomas Busby before he was hanged to death in 1702 in North Yorkshire, United Kingdom. I think Thurs—is Thursk in Scotland? I know it's in the United Kingdom somewhere. It could well be in Scotland. I want to say it's in. I want to say it's in Scotland. It could but, well be. I didn't. Yeah. I did not uh, look that information up. Busby was sentenced to death because he killed his father-in-law and literal partner in crime over a business argument. Another version says that his father-in-law was sitting in Busby's chair when he t- when he told him that he was taking his daughter and leaving, and Busby could fuck off. Regardless of the reason, the Busby killed his father-in-law with a hammer. Damn. The chair remained at the inn, which is now called a Busby Stoop Inn, and he was actually hanged next to this inn as well. Apparently, knowing that he was going to get caught, he stopped in for a drink before the man caught up, like the man, you know, like the fuzz, caught up with him and sat in his chair. Death shall come swiftly to anyone that dares sit in my chair, was the curse he uttered before being drug off to hang. Hmm. There is a legend that the first person to die from the curse was a chimney sweep, who sat in the chair and not much later fell off the roof to his death. I imagine that was kind of a a job hazard, though, for chimney sweep. sweep. Yeah, I imagine especially when you go to some place that serves drinks, you know, go in, get a couple beers. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to the tavern and get a little ale before I climb on some, like, fucking slippery slate stone roof and eat shit and die. Mm-hmm. Yep. In World War II, there was a base near this inn called Skipton on Swale. Canadian airmen from the base would frequent the inn, and anyone who sat in the chair would not return from their missions over Europe. Mm. Although, you know, I have to say, lost a lot of people in the skies in World War II. Everywhere. If there was a place where there were people in World War II, there was a lot lost. Yeah, I'm just saying that, like, bombing missions like flight missions were particularly hazardous yes yes. i mean huge groups would go out and sometimes people would come back sometimes yes Yes. and a few people would come back here and there but you know again i'm trying to think i I would have no idea what the odds were of that but i'm just saying yeah it it wouldn't be a huge stretch no no. that somebody who was uh about to go on a an air you know, bombing, bombing mission, mission may, or something may like that. May not come back. Or may any not sort of, come yeah, back. Yeah. I wonder mission, how many really. people actually sat in the chair. But apparently none that sat in the chair mm-hmm. ever turned back. In 1967, a couple Royal Air Force pilots sat in the chair and later crashed their car into a tree and died. The inn owner put the chair in the basement because he was sick of people like dying. I fucking had it with this goddamn chair. Now, a bricklayer was doing renovations and sat in the chair and died. <laughs> a roofer, also doing renovations, sat in it, and when he was on the roof, the roof collapsed. He died. Wow. A cleaning lady bumped into it, and shortly thereafter had an aneurysm. Oh, jeez. A delivery driver touched the chair, and an hour later was involved in a car accident. This was enough for the owner. This is when he donated the chair to the Thirst Museum, where they actually have it suspended from the ceiling by ropes. So no one can, like, touch it. Right. No, I've seen pictures of this chair, so I just keep wondering, like, why does everyone want to fucking sit in this chair? It doesn't even look like a comfortable chair at all. I don't. Maybe because it's old. Why does They're anyone like, even want to sit in this chair? And a lot of it is, like, like the cleaning lady just bumped into it. Mm-hmm. And I guess if you need to sit down and it's, like, the only chair, if there's just that one chair in the basement and you're a bricklayer and you're like, holy shit, I've been laying bricks for, like, an hour. I'm tired as fuck. I need to sit fuck. down and rest. I need to have a sit down. Here's a nice chair. 
and then you die. You think like the owner would be like, maybe that shouldn't just be somewhere where that's like the only chair available. I know. Like, maybe you put should it have ups- other chairs. Maybe put it upside down. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what's going on here. Like lay it on its side. Exactly. Actually, that's a th- common theme we're going to see with some of these cursed objects is people are assholes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll become re- relevant a little bit later. Now, they did examine the chair. It didn't say anything about anyone who examined the chair, what happened to them. I'm not sure if they touched it or what, but they found that it was... It's like, let me just get my microscope and, and stand back. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah, your magnifying glass. Sherlock Holmes it. That's what I meant. Yes. Fucking magnifying glass. Jesus Christ, I'm tired. <laughs> uh, examination of the chair showed that it was manufactured using a machine-turned-spindle, which was not used in the early 1700s. They expect the chair was actually made in 1840. In which case, the whole thing of Bubsby having ever had any contact with the chair would have been gone. Right. Because that was like a 17-something, right? Yes. Yes. That was in 1702. Okay. That's weird. Yeah, that is weird. Because allegedly it did kill all these people in the late 20th century. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Thomas Bosby's goddamn chair. All right. Yep. Don't touch it if you go to the Thirsk. <laughs> well, let's well, talk you about. Can't. I mean, they made. Oh sure yeah, that well, don't, they, they made sure of that. Don't do some like cheerleader pyramid thing and then touch it. Mm-hmm. Don't attempt to sit on this chair. Yeah, it's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about cursed jewels. Mm-hmm. No, not the Hope Diamond. That's another one we have a full-on episode of. You can go listen to that. This one we have is the Delhi Purple Sapphire. So the Delhi Purple Sapphire was looted from the Temple of Indra during the Indian Mutiny of 1857. Basically, India just got pissed off at Britain. Right. Like, no. And probably, like, justly so, I would imagine. British imperialism was pretty big around then. Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm sure um, a lot of the locals were not Overly, stoked about it. No, not yeah. so much. Mm-hmm. It was brought to England by one Colonel W. Ferris. And over the next few years, uh, he and his son lost most of their family's fortune, um, mostly due to poor investments, but they blamed the fucking Sapphire for it. Yeah, and all of his family members started getting sick, too. Mm-hmm. And not just, like, a little sick, but fucked up, sick as shit sick. And someone wearing the Sapphire actually committed suicide while they were wearing it. And the fucked up thing about that this is where we get into people being assholes, is so he believes that this is cursed. And then his quote-unquote friend of the family who asks to borrow it, he says, oh, sure, no problem. Yeah, take it. What? So when he commits suicide, okay, this thing is totally cursed. (laughs) Why he takes it back, I don't know. Right. Maybe he wanted to try and sell it to make some money. Right. But it's just like, oh, yeah, you'd make a great guinea pig to test out my cursed stone theory here. Friend of the family, my ass. Mm -hmm. Now, I read in a couple of different places that it was not correct that it was a purple sapphire that was actually an amethyst. I read that they thought it was an amethyst, but it was actually a sapphire. I mean, it's pretty, it, it doesn't look like most amethysts i've ever seen yeah I, I think that they believed when they got it, it was an amethyst because of the color mm-hmm. but later on they figured out it was actually a sapphire because sapphires are generally blue right and pink too. yes but not and, the, and i guess blue and pink together would maybe make a purple that's 
Not incorrect. So that would be a, a, a possible but very uncommon sapphire, I believe. Yeah, very, very rare, in I mean, fact, I'm no because jeweler, well, but... I know that for the blue color and the pink color to come out, you actually have to heat it. I'm not sure what color it's found, what what its natural color is. But when you heat them, you get the blue or the pink color, oh, depending I'll on... I'll be damned. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. At any rate... any rate, so I think me... And I was thinking maybe these sites got it wrong. They were the one because they were trying to say it like it was... At first, they thought it was a sapphire, and now they think it's an amethyst. But I think it would be... Um, more likely to be the other way around. Yeah, yeah. For sure. 1890, the next person to own it is one Edward Heron Allen. He gets it from Ferris's son. Mm-hmm. He was desperately trying to get rid of the motherfucking thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, Edward was friends with Oscar Wilde. Oh, was he really? Was, yeah. Yeah, Oscar Wilde was like, totally like his pal. Like friends or like, like friends? Like, <laughs> I think just like friends. Okay, but, but you never know. It was Oscar Wilde. Yeah. And Edward is said to have said that the stone was, quote, uh, trebly accursed. Yeah. And probably not wrong. Probably not, because after he got the stone, his shit went all pear-shaped. And he also... Because he th- felt it was cursed, maybe maybe this was a dick move too. He gifted the stone to two of his friends. Well, first off, what he did, he recognized this shit was cursed, and so he he had someone bind the stone with a silver double headed snake ring. So I believe it's like a snake that has a head on either end, and not like a two headed snake where the, it still has a, a tail on it by itself. Mm-hmm. And then he had two amethyst scarab beetles attached to the side of it and carved zodiac symbols into it. This stifled the curse, except he would here and there see a Hindu yogi that would be frantically looking for the gem. He'd be sitting in his study so or something. So he would like hallucinate this? He would be sitting, yes, yes. He would be like sitting in the study and suddenly see this Hindu yogi in like the corner, seemingly digging in the ground like when he thinks he's looking for the gem. Digging in his the floor of his study, not actually harming the floor, but like a ghost digging. So he's he's mm-hmm. like miming the action, but not actually getting anywhere. Well, yeah, you're not going to get anywhere. I mean, you can't really like dig up a floor with mm-hmm. the bare hands, especially when you don't even have bare hands, right? <laughs> yeah, and then this is a back mm-hmm. where we come to people are assholes because you're right. He mm-hmm. did loan it to two friends. The right. first one was in 1902, and a bunch of shit happened to it, and he gave the stone back. And then the curse hit Edward in full fucking force. Well, and I think one of the people he gifted to was uh was an opera singer who that lost was her the, voice. That was the second person. Yeah, yeah. That that was that was that was friend number two. Yeah. The first person, you know, they all the bad shit happens to them, so they get the stone back and Edward is fucking sick of it because when he gets the stone, he'd stifled the curse. All he had was the yogi ghost. Mm-hmm. Not a big deal, easy to deal with, awesome. Victorian times. He believed in in spirits anyway, I'm sure. But then when he gets the curse back, when his friend gives it back to him, he just throws the goddamn thing into a canal. It was the uh, the Regent Canal, which is just like fucking nasty as fuck. Very murky and gross. And probably even worse then. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, way back in the day. Now, this is, yeah, this is the part of the story that just, oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
I know. So, so apparently they have these like dredger people that yep. would, would dredge the canal looking for lost things and whatever. So some guy finds this goddamn thing, sells it, and the guy that he sells it to is like, oh, hey, I know that stone. He's the guy who originally put it on the snake ring. <laughs> and so well, he... that must be how he recognized yeah, it. Yeah, that's how he recognized it. And so he oh. brings it back He's to like, Edward. He's like, here you go, buddy. Here's your stone back. Just I'm... like, what the hell? Dude, can you just imagine? Can you imagine what that would be like? You throw this fucking thing into the goddamn muddy, nasty, shitty water of some canal. And then... You get it back a few months later. A knock later. at the door, and like here's some guy fucking holding it. Like, oh, look, I found your fucking stone. The cat came back. I'd just be like, no. Like, but then you know it's no. cursed. You know it's cursed. And that's when his friend, the opera singer, borrows it. And so he lets his friend take it, his quote-unquote friend, who is not, not ever able to sing after that performance. Oh, my God. So that was like a permanent thing? That was a permanent thing. Jesus. And, of course, the friend was like, yeah, thanks, Dick. Take right. this fucking stone back. So the, this will be the last victim of that cursed rock is probably something that he thought. Right. Like, he, maybe it would have been nice to think that a little bit sooner, but, you know. Oh, yeah, like a lot bit sooner. If I had a cursed object, maybe there are some people on my friends, air quotes. Right, right. That you'd that, be like, no, no, no. Yeah, here. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Take it. Take it. I'd be kind of... I'm. I'm one of those people, though, it's like I'm too like, afraid to do something like that because then I'm, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it'll come back on me like even worse. Right, right. Well, <laughs> you don't want to put that stuff out there sometimes. That's true. I, I don't think I would curse anybody. I think I would just do what old Eddie here does at this point, and he packs it into seven boxes filled with charms. I'm guessing it's some sort of like Russian nesting doll situation. Just You know, he puts the box within a box within ex a box. Exactly. Well, I mean, the thing was, didn't he have a... He had a newborn daughter at this point. And he yes. didn't want the curse coming upon her. No, not at all. So and he deposits so, the yeah. boxes into his safe of his bank. And he puts it in his will. Yep. Do not open this until 33 years after my death. Was it 33? I wrote it three. 33. But his daughter couldn't rid of the goddamn thing fast enough after he died. She did not wait the 33 years. She just donated the whole damn thing, the boxes and all, to the Natural History Museum. Oh, Where okay. it sat until 1972. That's so weird. I, I had it totally different. I had it that it was, he willed it to go to the museum in the first place. It wasn't to be opened until three years following his death and that his daughter was to have nothing to do with it. Ah. Uh, yeah. Well, so, yeah. The, he, apparently there was also a note that oh, yeah. warned of the curse and it was mm -hmm. poorly spelled and it also had the 33 years on it. Yeah, he... Oh, did it? Because I, I have, all right, the handwritten note that they found, it says, whoever shall then open it shall first read this warning and then do as he pleases with the jewel. My advice to him or her is to cast it into the sea. Well, three or 33. Three or 33. Some years after he died and his daughter. It was 1943 when he died. Yeah, and his daughter mm -hmm. was not to have anything to do with it. She donated it anyway to this museum. Never opened it, I, I guess. She was just, fuck this thing, it's gone. Mm -hmm. In 1972, Peter Tandy, curator of the National History Museum, found the sapphire, along with the note warning of the curse, which basically tells everything we just talked about, but right. again with Advises more spelling. throwing it into the sea. Yeah, but it, it, goes through, it goes through the whole thing. It goes through the very first oh, right. person, yeah. like the whole history right, of it and everything. The whole everything. story of so, it, because it was kind of, nobody really knew about the curse until this guy 
laid it all out for yeah, him. Yeah, opened it up and, and, and found the note and was like, oh, okay. Now, I did not find that Tandy suffered any curse-related things at all. Mm-mm. There was a... There was someone, though, that seemed to have some curse-related stuff. Yes, the 2004 curator, John Whitaker. Mm-hmm. First thing that happened to him is bringing a stone to an event, and then him and his wife were caught in a terrible storm. And almost hurt. Yeah. Or they could have, there's the potential for being hurt. He did describe it as being one of the most horrific events of his life ever. So apparently it was pretty terrifying. I've been in some terrifying storms, though. Yeah. Driving, like, uh, I remember that one windstorm that we had. Oh, this was like, Jarek was like five, so it was like 12 years ago. Our friend Laura was living in Kirkland. I was out, I was taking Jarek to like his five-year checkup at the pediatrician. Oh, was that when she was just up the street from where we are now? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes, and I'm trying to get just like a couple of miles from the doctor, because I know I'm I'm out and like living in Linwood at the time, so. Oh, right. I'm just like, I'm not driving all the way home in this shit because mm. it was crazy we get the power went out at the doctor's office lights off great that's it, a great it comes place. back on because most doctor's offices have backup generators but we get out and it's like ankle deep water God. in the parking lot the parking lot was flooded so i get him into the car and i'm just trying to get to the because it was like the worst rain i'd ever and i mean we're, we live in seattle i know I mean, right we're, we're used to some rain, but yeah. no, I, I do think I remember which storm you're talking about. All of right. Woodenville flooded, basically. Like, yeah, I mean, it yeah. was just nuts and like so many trees down, but it was raining so hard, I could hardly see anything. And I drove through several inter- intersections where it was like flooding, like up over my tires, like reaching the door. God damn. And I was terrified that like it was going to like suck water up into what the kind engine of car and were stall you in? out. I was just in some shitty car that I had at the time. Just like a regular car? Just like a regular car. And I remember Jarek's in the backseat, and I just keep kind of like repeating to him. It's more to myself, but it's just like, you know, it's going to be okay. We're, we're, <laughs> we're going to get there. Like, you know, don't be scared. It's going to be all right. Because I was terrified. It was oh, probably yeah. like the most terrified I've ever been driving in my life. Oh, yeah. And finally i did make it to laura's house she gave me some dry socks which was awesome and then after the storm passes is when i'm like okay now i think i can you know get home and get out and i mean immediately it's just like like tree there's just trees in the road everywhere at one point i had to drive onto the sidewalk to get around a fallen tree in the road damn it was just nuts i remember that's crazy it was the one of the one times that it closed my work because the power was just not going to come back on. Right. There well, was, there's nothing there was we so can do. There's so much damage so. and drowned down trees that the work crews were just overwhelmed. And so it was like, yeah, you're not getting power today. And so it was November and it's madness, cold and dark. So it was like, yeah, I guess we're closing up for the day. Yeah, damn. But yeah, I mean, so I can see where somebody might think, oh, oh you got caught in a thunderstorm. Like, that's not. But it could be, but it actually signi- yeah, some could serious be shit. because yeah. I, I mean that, like I said, that storm was twelve years ago, and I still have not had a more scary driving experience than when I was caught in this fucking storm out here. And I also imagine that when once someone is a curator of a museum, they're probably getting on there in, in years, so maybe it's a little bit harder for them to be driving around and shit too. You know, like if he's in his you know seventies or something. Right. No, I mean I'm already noticing like how I can't see very well at night anymore like it's 
it's like significantly worse. Yeah, than yeah. It used you got to get be. those glasses, like the yellow glasses oh. that, that make everything brighter. Right. So next time dude's moving the stone, he comes down with like a terrible stomach ailment. Just gets sick as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Which also sucks. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of the worst is when you have like yeah you that's, know that's yeah, just puking fucking, and and what have you yeah puking and what have you the what the have whole, you yeah, the, the what have you yeah, that, that, and the puking and sometimes at the same time yeah, and it's that's, not it's that's not the best just, uh, yeah that's just that's just not a not a good deal there and then moves it one more time collapses horrible pain passes a kidney stone Mm-hmm. and those things are fucking painful yeah i can attest to that but so, I didn't find anything again, after I mean, that. I mean, could be random, but it is interesting that all these things happened while he was it actually had the stone in his possession. Yeah. Very I strange. mean, lots of people uh, get the stomach flu, but just about everybody gets the fucking stomach flu at least once, if not multiple times in your life. A lot of people get kidney stones, too. And, you know, thunderstorms happen. But it's just weird but, for these kinds of coincidences to yeah, be. Yeah, but it's I mean, just like every single time. Yeah, it's like every single time he's moving that like something awful happened yeah yeah that's an interesting one yep haven't heard much about it since 2004 however didn't find anything really Mm-mm. like recent articles except for just recounting what ha- it's you know it's past right another first as fuck object would be the woman of lem l-e-m-b later known as the goddess of death which Definitely seems to be a more appropriate name. So it was found on the islands of Cyprus, which is in the Mediterranean. Yeah. It was thought to represent a fertility goddess. It's actually kind of weird. It's kind of typical fertility, you know, really rudimentary. You know, the really wide hips. Oh, yeah, the belly. But it's actually, like, very phallic looking. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I feel like she has, like, kind of like a long neck. and then. Her head is kind of like flat and weird, and I mean, it basically looks like a dick. I'm pretty sure it's meant to be like her face. As maybe like, it's both. Maybe they're trying to get. I think like, something that be... like that, and maybe that would be why it w- it was thought to be like a, a fertility um, relic. Because so. they, you know, they, did it also have the wide hips and the large belly and the swollen breasts? It ha- no. It, well, it has the wide hips, so it's kind of like heart shaped. Uh huh at its base with like a long neck and then like a really like kind of flat circular head on top. The breasts are kind of like etched into it. So they're kind of like just like two V's hanging down. Okay. I see. And then she's got her third V, you know? Right. 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 So basically like three V's in a triangle pattern on this thing. So it's, it's pretty weird looking. Yeah. Dates back to about 3,500 BC. Pretty old. Very old. Yes. This was acquired by one Lord Elephant during the colonial occupation of Cyprus. Elephant? Elephant. Just Elephant. 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 So within six years of acquiring this, you know, he brings it back to his family in England. And within six years, um, the entire Elephant family were dead. Seven oh. members, I believe. So the next person to own it was one Ivor Manachi and his family was dead within four years of acquiring 
the fertility goddess idol, do, what have you. Do you know how many of them there were? I don't. But still, all family died. I tried to died. do more research on it, and it was just coming up dead ends, like everywhere. Well, we can say at least three. There's probably a wife and at least one kid involved. The next one was the Lord Thompson Noel, and he and his family all dead within four years as well. Now there's some more specifics on the final owner of this, because the, so the next guy to get this was a Sir Alan. Uh, Biverbrook. Now he died as well as his wife and their two daughters, but two sons remained living. And even though they were not huge um, believers in the occult and stuff, they nonetheless were like, let's get rid of this fucking statue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I would say was a smart move Sensible on their move. part. <laughs> Very solid move. Solid move. So the uh, statue, the horrible, hideous, uh, death-bringing statue, was donated to the Royal Museum in Edinburgh. And... Edinburgh. <laughs> Edinburgh. There has been one curator who handled it, did die within a year of touching it. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. But since then, it has remained in its last case. As it fucking should. And uh, no other deaths have been associated with it. Well, good. But I think it's kind of like, you know, Busby's chair where they're just kind of like, yeah. Just don't fucking touch this don't, shit. Don't fucking touch it. Yeah. The museum, did not, as far as the curator's death, the museum is just like, yeah, that didn't have anything to do with anything. But it was something else. Mm hmm. <laughs> well, it's always something else. I mean, it's not like they die and you find it like sitting on their fucking <laughs> right. head or something. I mean. <laughs> That'd make it easier, wouldn't it? <laughs> wouldn't it? <Yeah. laughs> Covered in its blood. It's just like, what? Well, along yeah. the same lines as the last two, <laughs> this uh, particular thing is another one that has warnings at the museum that it's held at. These are the uh, Maori warrior masks. The Maori are the native uh, New Zealanders. They migrated to the island in search of jade between 800 and 1350 CE. They're a tribe of warriors, and before battle, they carved these masks and statues. If the warrior dies in battle, his spirit goes into these things. The statues are not a big deal, apparently. But if a pregnant or menstruating woman gets near the mask, they will get harmed. The re so, that's weird. Yeah, I, I knew about the pregnant thing. Like, why aren't you supposed... Is, is it because you're, like, dirty when you're, like, menstruating? Or oh, something? yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> don't, don't you worry. <laughs> the reason for this is they considered both women in these states and the mask belonging to the dead warriors as tapu, which roughly translates to taboo, but it seems without the negativity that the word brings to mind. Yeah, because I mean, I would associate that with like, you know. I know, like, like oh, they're bad, but they, they view pregnant women as sacred and to be protected. So that's, I mean, it's like a taboo to fuck with them, really. I see. In the case of menstruation, however, they are just pretty much trying to keep a sister down. Right. Just like go out on, to your fucking period hut. Yeah, go to your away from everyone. Go to your chum shack. <laughs> See, a woman on her period is not allowed to go into the garden, go to the beach, prepare food, as well as other things. Mm, cuz you know that that period will just get everywhere. It will get everywhere. <laughs> if you get two taboo things together, it can spark a curse, which is why they don't want these things together. Apparently, pregnant women and menstruating women are fine to hang out together though, probably because they're both 
kind of like different doing stuff with their uterus, different like... stages of the same process, <laughs> I guess. A museum in New Zealand with the Maori exhibit has a sign that warns women affected by either of these things to enter at their own risk. I was unable to find out specifically what the curse would do, but I did find out that the sign at the museum has caused quite a controversy. Lots of feminist groups think that it's like fucked up that they're putting these warning signs up there and they feel like it's like trying to keep like women down with the menstruating and the pregnancy thing. But right. when I, I mean, the sign I thought was just a warning, just enter at your own risk if you were doing, if you're, if you're pregnant or menstruating. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I think it's possible that it's being taken, being a little bit overblown, but maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's a tough call. Yeah. I feel like a warning. I don't want to get cursed. Right. And so if you want to go in and so... possibly get cursed, then that's fine. But not being told that there's possibly a curse. I, would, I mean, that's kind of Do you rude. have, like, the exact wording of it? Hold on, let me pull it up. Because I feel like if it was, like, well, some have said that if you're in these conditions, there might possibly be some, you know, kind of kind of curse involved, and we just want to put that out there. But, but something that's just kind of, like, warning, pregnant and menstruating women should take caution. I mean, something that's just kind of being really fucking glaringly blunt and... I don't know. I haven't, I'm not able to find the sign specifically, but it just suggests that pregnant or menstruating women should not enter because there's, it could be cursed. It says to enter at your own risk, basically. But I can't find verbatim what the sign, what the sign says, and I'm not seeing hmm. any pictures of it on, uh, online either, so. Well, fair enough. I mean, take offense to it. I would just, I, for one, if there's a possibility of being cursed, I want all the warnings. Yeah, totally. Me too. I don't care. It's if you, I, wouldn't, if you have, I wouldn't be informed. If you have testicles, you you know you may be cursed if you go in here. I'll be like, okay, well, I mm-hmm. do have testicles. I am glad you told me I will not enter the testicle cursed zone. I mean, whatever. We also have the crying boy painting. Oh, I read about the crying boy painting. It's a creepy painting. I would never buy that painting, nor would I hang it in my house. I know. It just seems like such a sad, like, awful thing that they have in your house. Like, I don't want a picture of some child, like, crying. I know, right? Well, there's actually, I have a theory in here about why that, why people buy it. Alan Wilkinson, a fire station officer in the UK, logged around 50 fires from 1973 to 1985 that all had one thing in common. They all had a print or an original of like not an original, but a, you know, a, they've got the prints, but they also have the reproductions mm-hmm. of the crying boy painting. Additionally, the crying boy painting always survived the blaze and was found still hanging on the wall, which is a good thing. Apparently, if the painting were to fall, it is an omen of impending death. And I mean, that can happen in a fire, like, because a lot of times, you know, when stuff burns down, right? It like maybe, yeah, yeah, burns down, like, totally, and the totally. walls collapse. And... Except for the wall with the painting on it. Some claim that the power behind the painting is that it's full of subliminal messages that prompt one to purchase the painting, hang the painting, and then burn down the house. So that the fi- so the fires are not accidental, is what you're saying. That's that's one theory. Another one is that it is just cursed. There is some good news though. One can break this curse in one of two ways. You either get a crying girl picture, which is significantly rarer than the crying boy, 
The two together bring good luck. It's also said that if you're nice to the crying boy painting, it will bring you good luck. Nice to it? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Do you like just greet it when you walk past it? Make sure it's dust free? I don't know. Make sure the lighting is always great? I don't know. The thing I read about it was that it was actually like comprised of like fire re- retardant materials. <laughs> so that's maybe why it wasn't burning. Like... Well, a guy named Stephen Punt attempted to burn one of these paintings himself. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do it. And that's because, yes, the prints are on a high-density hash board, which doesn't burn very well. Additionally, they're coated in a flame-resistant varnish, which seems to explain how they survived the fires. Mm -hmm. It is odd how most of them were still reported hanging, because it was just a string. The string wasn't fireproof. So, you know, on the back of a painting, you know, a a picture, there's the string, and then you hang the string on the tack. Mm -hmm. That string wasn't damaged. Well... But if you actually get like nice like framed art, um, it's not it's not a string. It's like a metal wire. That's true. Yeah, some of them are metal wires. Mm-hmm. But oh, I would still... imagine that. I mean, I have stuff that's hung on a string because the thing like broke or there wasn't like a yeah 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 or or something that's like yeah like more cheaply made. I guess is a string. But I mean, my parents have a lot of big paintings. And they all have, like, wires. I wonder if that was the case in the, like, 70s and 80s, though. I wonder if... Well, things probably were more well-made. Possibly. Not going to skimp on the the hanging material. So that would just be my theory as to why it it might still hang. It it is weird, though. I mean, if it's... I mean, did everything else, like, burn down but that wall? Is that the only wall left standing? I have questions. And also, (laughs) there was, like, similarly treated paintings that didn't survive the fires. Okay. So it's not like, I mean, that it wasn't like this particular painting was done weird. It wasn't like this was a special fire-resistant painting. Like a lot of the ones were made with this high-density hashboard and when sprayed with the flame-resistant varnish. I'm not mm-hmm. sure why, but, I mean, apparently it worked for this one. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. No firefighters would hang this painting in their homes. Another interesting thing, the sun, a British tabloid, allegedly organized a bonfire to burn these paintings on Halloween 1985, where they supposedly burned around 2,500 of them. Wow, that's a lot. I'm not sure how they burned them, since Punt couldn't do it, and neither could the house fires, but apparently they... They found a way. They found a way. May Allegedly, supposedly. Hmm. This was also... 2,500? That seems like so many. Well, this is a, a really popular painting. Well, yeah. I mean, I get that there would be that many or more in circulation. It's just, like, how did they how did they get so many together? Talked about it, and people brought theirs down and wanted to burn it. In 1985, prior to social media? Well, The Sun, a British tabloid, was a printed magazine. That's or a true. printed newspaper. That's true. So. And I guess people actually read the paper. Yeah, totally, because, because they didn't have had. the internet. <laughs> And uh, still, it just seems like a really big number. Well, it is the it is the biggest British tabloid, I believe. Right. I'm just saying, like, at least at the time, twenty five hundred paintings, twenty five hundred people that own this painting showed up at this event and tried to. I mean, and and then yeah, allegedly burned. So I don't know. Now, since this was such a popular painting. Yeah, it's weird that it didn't burn, but it's not so weird that a lot of houses with it inside caught fire just because. Fires happen. Fires happen. And if you have a bunch of these in the market, they're going to be, I mean, it's just a numbers game. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other things that people use to decorate their homes, there's paintings. There's also vases. Oh, yes. That, that cursed vase. The Bassano vase. In a 
In a village near Napoli, Italy, it is a woman's wedding night, but she's dying on the floor of her room clutching a silver vase. The vase was a wedding present to the woman and was made of carved silver. The last words the dying woman says is that she'll be back to seek her vengeance. Because was it, did her husband murder her or what? I'm not sure who murdered her. Someone murdered her, though. Hmm. It's like, why would you clutch a vase? It's a nice vase, you know? I guess, but still, I just feel like I would have other things on my mind as, like, the life was draining from my body. You know? yeah, it was and the like, 15th. Oh. It's a vase. I gotta, I gotta, like, I get to my body. And... It was the 15th century. Maybe she was using the vase to try to defend herself against whoever killed her, and it was just happened to be in her possession. Well, and... vases are handy. I mean, I would say that's still a thing today. And a silver one at that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if somebody was, you know, trying to break into my house, and it's like, oh, like, here's, like, five objects, and one of them happens to be a vase. I'm going to go for the vase. Like, yeah. that's a really good thing to, like, you know, get a good handle on it. Yep. And you can really clock somebody hard in the head or the face with it. Yep, yep. You're you're not wrong at all. And this was the 15th century, so they knew how to make vases back then. Right? I mean, the solid silver vase. That yeah. Has, that's that's got to be good. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that maybe she was trying to defend herself with it. I'll... Do you give me that one? I'll give you that one. Thanks, Joanna. Mm-hmm. The vase stayed in the woman's family and was passed down to her relatives. Each person to take possession of the vase would die mysteriously. Eventually, the vase was hidden away. Either someone boxed it up and stashed it, or a priest buried it on sacred ground. Whichever, everything was fine until the rest of time. The end. (laughs) Not really. In 1988, someone found the vase. It's alleged that whoever found the vase discarded the warning it was found with, which said, Beware, this vase brings death. Pretty to the point. The vase went up for auction and sold for 4 million lira which was Italian currency from 1861 to 2002. I believe they switched to the euro in 2002, but I'm not 100%. I just don't know what else they would have switched to, so I'm going to go with that. It was purchased by a local pharmacist who died three months later. His family sold it to a 37-year-old surgeon who died two months later. An archaeologist bought it next and died of a mystery infection three months later. His family went to sell this death vase off and had a bit of trouble. Seems people who were interested in buying expensive-ass vases had began hearing about this particular one. They did find a buyer, but they sold it for less than the 5 million lira the archaeologist had bought it for. Well, you know, sometimes you just gotta take a loss. Sometimes you take the hit when you're trying to sell a cursed fucking vase. Mm-hmm. Two months later, that buyer died. Jesus Christ. At this point, people in the area knew this vase was fucked, and more importantly, The person who inherited the vase knew it was bad news, so he threw it out the window. The story goes, it almost hit a cop. (laughs) I was like waiting. I was waiting to see, like, who does it fucking hit when it goes out the window? Right, right. Almost (laughs) hits a cop who comes in and finds the guy for disorderly behavior. The new inheritor is cool with that. He's like, I will take this ticket, but you will be taking me to jail before I take back this vase. That vase will remain on the street unless you remove it there. Now the cops are stuck with this killer vase. They try to donate it to museums, but the museums know the, know the score, and they don't want anything to do with it. See, I think it would just, like, I would have just walked away if I was like that cop. Well, rumor has it. I just would have left the vase on the street. He's like, a good cop. He was like, no, this is dangerous. This is littering, too. <laughs> yeah, and littering. Well, rumor has it the cops buried the vase in a secret location, possibly in a lead coffin. Wow. Like, yeah. it's a fucking vampire or some shit? Yeah. That's Damn. some, uh cursed ass shit 
Yeah, that face does seem pretty cursed as fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that has been our episode on cursed and haunted objects. We hope you enjoyed, and we will talk to you next time. Stay strange. Do you enjoy the Stranger Than podcast? Please let us know. Rate and comment on iTunes. Check out and like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash stranger than podcast. Our Twitter at underscore stranger than or drop us an email stranger than podcast at gmail.com. That's stranger than podcast, all one word at gmail.com. Also, feel free to email us any strange, mysterious, or misunderstood stories or topic suggestions that you'd like to share or hear about.